0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to uh, Monday Night Live. My name is Derek Arden. And tonight I'm delighted to uh, welcome Mark Ridley. Mark's the author of three books and has written uh, The uh, Leader's Secret Code. But first of all, I'm going to hand you over to Nancy Loates taylor a long time guest of Monday Night Live to formally introduce Mark because Nancy's known Mark for 20 years. Over to you, Nancy.
1: Well, thank you, Derek. Hello, everyone. Good afternoon for those of us in Western Europe and good morning for all of you calling in from the States. It's so lovely to hear from you. Anyway, today's session is about The Leader's Secret Code, which is Mark Ridley's third book. He's going to tell you all about it. I've known Mark, as Derek says, for 20 years. We've worked together as colleagues uh, in a firm called Transform People International when we first started out and then went into renaming, when was that, Mark, 2016, 17, somewhere around there, the Transform Performance, and has real relevance to the book, too. He'll he'll link that in. Anyway, but Mark's got an interesting background, started off in uh, financials. Oh, actually, further back. We won't go back to uh, <laughs> to, to the retail, will we? Quill no. <laughs> cool pens, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But he did work in financial services for a while, and then in the technology world, and then uh, decided to start uh, a development company uh, with his uh, partner, Ian Mills, um, and that's where I first met him uh, in terms of uh, doing business performance improvement work. And so we've had a, an interesting journey, haven't we, Mark? And what I'm going to to do is hand over to Mark, ask him a few questions along the way, and he's going to share with us uh, really what what prompted them to do this research and what's come out of it, because it is really interesting, so much so that I became an accredited uh, leader secret code uh, coach and facilitator myself as well. Anyway, Mark, first of all, tell us about what prompted you to get involved in TPI and then into Uh, doing the leader secret code over to you well um,
2: I'd be interested to also understand what the motivations of the folks on the on the call is as well because I don't want this to be a a sort of speech by me but um, for me um, on an interest in leadership Began, I suppose, many years ago when I when I realised. And please don't ring your bell at me, Derek. Um, <laughs> but I realised that a lot of leadership that I was experiencing wasn't really very good. <laughs>
3: um,
2: and and I suppose as a, as a as a youngster, you sort of you know you don't really sort of think about it in a, in a in a logical and rational frame. You just get a sense that something doesn't feel quite right. You don't feel you don't feel connected, and so on and so forth. And you mentioned, you know, our colleague, our colleague Ian Nancy, and you know that's one of the reasons why I began this business. I I, I just got so frustrated with a lot of what I was experiencing um, that I felt that there had to be something more. Uh, and that's when, uh, as you know, we we established the business Transform People. I just hold the belief that when given the opportunity, most people will come to work and will build a career. With a view in mind that they want to be the best version of themselves, they may not put it into that kind of frame. Um, but I don't—I've never really met many people who wake up in a morning and say, "Today I'm going to go to work and be rubbish at what I do, or <laughs> cause mayhem, or be yeah. deliberately nasty." I just don't see that way. So, for me, the leader secret code—the uh, whole essence of what transform performance is about—is. It's just really working with people, understanding their intent, understanding why they do what they do, not just what they do. Mm-hmm. And when you have the privilege to be able to do it, the likes of you know some, some fairly global names, that's great. Um, but at the end of the day, the label over the door doesn't matter. You could be in Cisco one week, Dow Chemical the next, British Business business bank the week after that but at the end of the day you're dealing with people Mm -hmm. who are going through different things and different stages in life and obviously over the last two years no one needs reminding us to the importance I think of good leadership so I I, I don't know that answers your question but for me that's the motivation I mean I'm just interested in some of the the names I I see in um, some of you folks I mean what gets you interested in leadership you know, I, I mean, Alex, you 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 you're uh, you were introduced to me as a as a as a leader of people. I mean, what about yourself? What gets you what gets you motivated about leadership?
0: Everybody's on mute, Mark, so it might take a minute oh, to right. unmute. Um, Sorry, is Alex,
2: there is Alex, Alex there.
0: there? He just <laughs> yeah. There. I think
2: okay. I'll throw the question open because it'll help me as I answer these questions from Nancy. Uh, I mean, what about yourself, Paul? Uh,
3: I think um, leadership to me is, I think it's, it's everywhere, more than, more than we think, really. I think everything that we do uh, at whatever level we're at in an organisation, I mean, bearing in mind that all my career has been, been uh, has revolved really until recent years in, in, in the corporate environment through banking and, and, and such mm-hmm. like, in the hierarchy of that. But I think everybody has that opportunity to be a leader in their own particular area and 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 i like that you know the point about this that you say about this you know be the best version of yourself because to me that's i've always worked on the, on the basis that you lead by example and if, if, if you've got the right ideas and the right way of doing things you hope the people will follow but um it's never of course it's never as simple as that but uh, i do feel that leadership is not just for the obvious leaders i think we all have a role to play
2: yeah do you know i'm really glad i asked I, I, I came to you that next then because actually you've half answered um why we why we got into what we were doing around the leader's secret code um we we felt very strongly that if we were able to interview to ask enough leaders around the world um we might get some interesting answers about uh, what leadership meant to them and how that how it framed their their thinking patterns their thought patterns and how that then worked to, to enable them to behave in particular ways and what we essentially ended up doing I'd like to say is a is almost a what we'll call a modeling project if we could if we could provide people with almost a yes a blueprint. Um, for what leadership might be like, might feel like, might sound like, might look like, then other people, if they so chose, could follow it. And that's why we called it the leader's secret code. I mean, I don't know, I, you know, again, I, I, I don't want to pretend that I am some guru who has all the theories here. I don't. What I've got is some interesting research. Wow. So let me just ask the question here. Is anybody familiar with the work of Robert Diltz?
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah From NLP, yeah, from
2: NLP. Exactly, exactly. Now, uh, you know, um, I'm not going to go into the wise and wherefores and virtues of NLP but I'm a big follower of of Robert Diltz and if anybody hasn't read some of his work I would really I'd really I'd really recommend it but you know Nancy you asked me a minute ago what prompted the journey and this Mm -hmm. was you remember this because you were part of the team at the time Mm -hmm. this was absolutely central to the way it was what we were realizing was going on in a number of the organizations or not going on in a number of the organizations that we were working with Nancy would you mind if I shared a slide Oh, please do. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 just for, the, for, the, for those, I'm, I'm going to be very unprofessional now, and I'm not going to put it into slideshow view because I'm going to probably, because what I didn't want to do was give you all death by PowerPoint. But what I did want to do is just to share a couple of things. So I'm just going to put this into. Yeah,
1: it's a I focus yeah? on beliefs. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So if, if you're not familiar with the work of DILT's, um, then, then that's fine. But this is, in a nutshell, this is why we we were so interested in what we meant by the leader secret code. And, and Robert Dilts talks a lot about what he calls logical levels of impact and influence. And and this 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 was central to our thinking when we began um, looking at what could it be that we could perhaps almost bottle in terms of what what great leadership might be like. And what basically DILT says is that all of us in our our lives and our work are seeking some kind of desired outcome, an ideal state. And the way that we create that ideal state is usually when we are fully congruent with what we call these different levels of impact. So if we look down towards the bottom there, you know, the environment, the context in which we work, you know, and it can be very basic, as I've put on the slide there. But if you think about it, if you're a leader leading an organization, this is how I use it. If I'm a leader leading an organization, one of the first questions I ask is, well, what are you trying to achieve? And how does the leadership environment, how does the climate, the culture that you are creating as a leader, um, how does that work to deliver what you're Belief in that desired state is so. That's why I think the point that that was made a moment ago about leadership leaders being a, a great example wherever they are in the organisation is so crucial. Because you might be leading a large team, you might be leading a small team, but if you as a leader are not creating the right environment for your people, maybe psychological safety, challenging, innovative, whatever epithet you want to put on it, then you're then you're then you're not going to achieve it. And this fascinated me, it, it, and it has done for years in terms of, well, if you're going to create that environment, surely if I go up to the, le- the top levels there, that sense of identity and purpose, why do I do what I do? You know, what is it that, that, that I'm doing as a leader day in, day out that, 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 that serves to, to show others um, why I am here? And, 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 and these levels to me Um, build up to this this whole idea around the fact that actually, if you think about it, the beliefs and the values we hold are critical, especially for leaders, because if there is a break in this chain, if a leader doesn't really understand why they do what they do and the impact it has on their behaviors, Mm. then we have a problem. Mm. And to me, whilst this isn't my theory, what I really wanted to understand was Has anybody gone out there and researched the belief systems of leaders around the world and given them the opportunity to think about what they believe and how that leads to certain behaviours? And to me, that's where the leader's secret code came in. Because we're so inextricably linked, as far as I'm concerned, it's about the three Bs. As we believe, we will behave. And as we behave, we will become. And for me, that was the, the essence of what we were trying to do. I, there's, a, there's a little story I, I often share, which, which was a true story for me, and it, it brought home to me um, just a few years ago when I, when I was researching the book, and I went, happened to go on holiday to Sri Lanka. I don't know if anybody on the call has been, but um, in Sri Lanka, there's, a, there's an elephant orphanage. Uh, which we visited on the road to Kandy, and if you'd never been to Sri Lanka, I, I do recommend it. Um, and um, I, I noticed that we're allowed to go up and pet the animals and all this kind of stuff. And I noticed that one of the animals um, that we were allowed to go close to had a, a rope bracelet around one of its ankles. And I, I said to the, I said to the keeper, why is it, why is it got a rope bracelet? And he said, uh, he smiled and he said, well, he said it's because when they first come into us as orphaned elephants, we put them on a chain. And we, um, we, 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 it's quite a short chain. And he said, often we get criticised because, you know, the do-gooders around the world say that we're being cruel to the animals. But in actual fact, what we're doing is we're just giving them a sense of security, and then we give them gradually a longer and longer chain until, in the end, um, we just give them the bracelet. But the beauty of it is, of course, that the elephants don't wander. But I thought, you know, it's a really good metaphor for what we're trying to do in terms of the leader's secret code. Because sometimes the beliefs that we, we gather as we go through our leadership journey become quite fixed. And, and as, the, as the guy said, well, you know, at the end of the day, we, 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 we can, the elephants get, you know, come to believe that there is no escape. I thought, yeah, sometimes with leaders, that might be the same way. And that's really, Nancy, why we went off and researched it, because yeah. at the end of the day, If we can shine a light for leaders on what they're believing, maybe we can offer them new choices in the kind of beliefs that they hold. And that is all to
1: the good. Yeah, that's why uh, the Leader's Secret Code so intrigues me, Mark, is because um, it is about choices and it's giving people choices and it's getting them to see some of the leadership beliefs uh, across a spectrum And so there isn't just one model of doing it this way or that way. There's a spectrum there and some will work better in some environments than others. And where are you on that spectrum in each of the different areas, which you're going to introduce everybody to?
2: Yeah, and I think that's that's a really important point because... You know, one of the things I don't know what again what it's been like for you folks. I mean, Paul mentioned you know he had a corporate life and leadership. One of the things that I object to strongly is being put into a box by anybody, mm. um, and 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 especially when you're in a role of leadership because leadership is so situational. How on earth do you really say what great leadership is? Because in any one moment, a great leader might have to be quite. I'll use the word dictatorial, and in another in in another moment, that same leader may have to be very participative and very um, very social in the way that they work. So, for for me, the the way in which we went about this. Was to was to really think about as you as you say, Nancy. What kind of spectrum of beliefs can we identify? And to cut a long story very very short, we 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 worked with a, a number of researchers, a number of psychometricians. I won't bore you with the details of those, but if you if you're interested, please read the book. Um, but there is something called the Cross National Time Series Data Archive, and basically this is something that's open to academics the world over. Fundamentally, it's a massive repository of data mm-hmm. and in that in that in that repository nancy there are over seven hundred thousand items at the time written about leadership and basically we did some number crunching we did some analysis of the kind of subjects that leaders talked about that wrote about and so on and so forth and in the end what that basically did was enable us to create a pretty detailed questionnaire survey that we sent out to over a thousand leaders around the world in 17 countries. and, and, and again, I, I don't know if any of you are experts in, in research on here, and you may be far more expert than me, but the uh, the, the uh, psychometricians and the and the, uh, and the data analysts we were working with, uh, when I said, well, how many people do we need to really interview to get something sensible, to get something realistic and, and, and repeatable? Uh, they said, actually, if you do a few hundred, you're probably going to over-egg the putt. Um, after a certain time, there's, there's a limit to how many answers you're going to get back. Um, okay, fine. But we went, we went for just over 1,000. So the, the analysis, Nancy, is based on 1,000 leaders in 17 countries and 11 different vertical markets. So from that perspective, pretty comprehensive and these were the seven focus areas that we asked them questions about because these were the areas that not only in interviews came up time and time again, but when we looked at the work in the, from the results of the cross national time series data archive, you could absolutely categorize so much of what was written into these key areas here. You know, leaders have to be resilient, They're resilient. they have to influence, they have to communicate well, they have to empower, they have to understand strategy. They have, they have to understand what it means to control and they have to be ready to or understand what it means to be fulfilled. Mark,
0: can you reduce the size of that slide? We can only see two of those. Um, seven oh, points. oh um, I can see it all. OK, I, okay yeah. maybe that's me then. OK, if everybody else? Is can... anybody else
1: struggling?
2: No,
0: no. See it all.
2: OK,
1: that's yeah. good mark there's been there's been a question uh, yes. you know how, how did you define leadership
2: ah right uh, really 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 good question um, we we went out and asked anybody who was responsible for the um, the direction of others who who who, who according to their organization um, could be an agent of change in that organization. So it wasn't specifically management responsibility. Um, it was people who uh, also recognised themselves as a leader rather than a manager. We did quite a lot of work in the early stages sifting out the difference between leaders and managers. Um, so really good question. Um, but in the end, um, we, we concluded that, you know, Anybody who was somebody who could create followership um, could justifiably call themselves a leader. So it's a very broad brush, very broad brush. Um, You know, how do you define it? Um, So, yeah, great question. Are there any other questions in the chat, Nancy, that I'm missing?
1: Uh, Let's just see. Yeah. Um, Where do you see critical thinking become integrated into your model so it became becomes a practice rather than a process critical I thinking think. mm. well critical thinking y-
2: you could argue is a skill and a behavior not necessarily a belief although if you believe yeah. that critical thinking is important um, so arguably the the behavior or skill of critical thinking well i'll leave you to judge where it would fit within the code it's a great it's a great question um, let, let but i don't let's, i don't think park it's a it belief for the minute yeah. And go
1: yeah deeper and then come back to it yeah
2: So fundamentally, um, by the way, I should say that we we, we also and and we we highlight them in the book, we validated a lot of the the information that came out of the research by going to a number of people that we called Iconics. We highlight each of these in the book. So again, um, it was a very useful process for us. Uh, For example, we talked about football earlier. Um, The the leadership experience of somebody like Sarah Abanja, who is the CEO of the, the the Tottenham Hotspur Foundation, is very different from, say, Bruce Daisley, who was at the time the president of Twitter, or the current, for example, Max Hill, director of public. Prosecutions, or for example, somebody who comes from a different world, uh, such as somebody like Alexander Altinger, who um, uh, you know comes from comes from a different world, or um, somebody like um, oh, she's coming over here now, uh, Varda Shine. Here we go, um, who comes from um, uh, Israel originally and, and and is from from, from De Beers so we tried very hard to get a cross-section of these leaders that we could use to validate the research that was coming out and and again they very much did there was no argument as to the areas that we had identified from the research in terms of the seven areas of focus and they all found resonance in the in the belief systems. so what were those belief systems well fundamentally those seven areas of focus that we'd identified in as from the cross national time series data archive as areas of real interest for leaders and and focus for leaders um, we we looked at those and we we the, the questionnaire that we put uh, it was about 500 questions that we put um, Nancy you mentioned a spectrum what we did was we said well um, Let's ask questions that relate to those different areas of focus. So resilience, you could ask questions relating to, um, you know, the degree to which I, um, I don't know, the, the way, the, the degree to which I spring back after a period of adversity, or you could ask questions relating to: um, is is resilience about? Um, having tenacity? Is it about working smart? Is it just simply about working hard? A whole range of questions that we asked, and what this identified for us was what we call journey motivators. In other words, what we realized was that every leader recognized that they were on a journey of their own, and they were taking their people on a journey, but the way in which they get there differs greatly. And, and that was really important, because whilst leaders coalesced around those seven views, those seven destination beliefs, as we came to call them, the way they get there is very, very different. Actually, Robert Diltz, going back to his work, he has a very simple way of putting it. He always talks about the fact that, you know, the map, in a sense, is not the territory. That if you mm-hmm. if you invite someone to look at a map, that, that, that people will always find different ways of getting to the same destination but it doesn't make the journey any less relevant whether you go via the mountains or whether you go via the valleys so, <laughs> so that's really what we ended up with journey motivators and destination beliefs and here is an example you know I'm not, not going to bore you with all of it today unless you unless you're really interested to ask all the questions but here is an example. In the research, when we asked questions about strategy, every leader that we interviewed agreed that it was important, first of all, that strategy was, was, was part of the lead, a leader's belief system and thinking about that. But they all agree that it's knowing where the organization has to position itself, how to implement its resources to achieve success, and so on and so forth. When we interviewed in detail a lot of leaders, and we said, well, how do you get there? It was quite surprising how many people would say, "Well, you know what? I've been around the block. I know what I know what the answer is." Or, um, "Well, you know, I know my industry. Um, I, I have a I, I have an, a sense of intuition." I was actually surprised how often leaders uh, said that to me when we did the research. As you can see here, when we allocate twenty points, as it were. Um, the leaders came out with a balance. So it was not about being exclusive one to the other, but most leaders said, no, I prefer to understand that strategy and strategic thinking has to be rooted in insight and research to make my outcomes more predictable. But at the same time, I recognize that if I'm going to be a successful leader, an element of what I do has got to be based upon my intuition. So if you can think about this now, knowing that that is where, top quartile leaders place this emphasis of belief so it's not about one or the other now you can see that if we have a conversation and I put a load of leaders through this and I get a load of leaders who come out I don't know 16 intuitive and four fact-based then we can have some conversations about why they're holding those kinds of beliefs so what we're trying to do here Nancy is to make soft stuff around the way in which people balance beliefs into something that provides hard data so that leadership coaches can have some sensible conversations about someone's leadership practice. Yeah. That makes sense? Yes. I mean, this, this is the code itself. So you can see those seven areas that we looked at. And when we look, you can You know, you can go into sub-beliefs to the nth degree, but we chose in the end to go with these beliefs because, as you rightly say, they present a spectrum. So as a leader, I'll ask everybody on the call to think about it now, when you think about being in control, which most leaders recognize that at the end they were accountable for success, there has to be a degree of control... Do you tend to the participative? Do you tend to be more directive? And you can see here that top quartile leaders from the the survey said, well, actually, on balance, we're more participative. But I was slightly surprised, I'll be honest, at at the level of of directedness. I thought in this modern age, I might be an old fuddy-duddy, and it might be much more towards the participative. I don't know if anyone has any views on that.
0: Where's the directiveness? Um, I'm lost a bit on that slide. Uh, forgive me. Maybe so I'll, I'll... you can
2: see in the, on the on the slide if I, if I um, if you look at the at the, at the word uh, control. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, so that's eight yeah. and twelve directly. Exactly. Okay, exactly.
2: Yeah, no, no. Thank you for the question. I live with this day in, day out, and you don't. So thank you for that. So yeah, so um, you can see there that the way that these were split. Resilience was an interesting one and and proves, still proves to be an interesting one because, and again, you know, you can see there that when we looked at Um, leaders saying it you know resilience is how I spring back from adversity I use it as a springboard for future success so many leaders said to us in the research look at the end of the day you have to put in a shift when things go awry you have to work hard what was really interesting was the degree to which Um, people said, no, yeah, I I accept I have to work hard, but actually I have to be innovative and creative and I have to think smartly and so on and so forth. To the extent that very often when we're working with leaders at the moment, we're finding that a lot of leaders will say to us quite openly, do you know something? I think that there are times when I don't give me or myself or my team the credit for doing a hard day's work. Mm. It's just suddenly become something that's expected of us. And a lot of leaders are saying at the moment, I'm finding that um, I need to think a little more carefully because I'm, you can see here that this, it wasn't a necessarily strongly held belief about working hard in rel- relative terms to working smart. But, but, in, but in fact, it, it's, 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 it, it's, it's really interesting that many leaders say, yeah, you know, it's not that I don't believe in working hard, it's that I'm not recognizing it in myself. And, and am I recognizing it in my, in my people? I had a leader from, on, from Microsoft just the other week, and he looked at his scores. And he came out um, 19 points work smart, one point work hard. And his team said, boss, that doesn't surprise us. Because if we're going to give you the feedback, you know, you're pushing us to be innovative and creative. Um, but actually, um, you're exhausting us. You're not giving us time to recover. So, you know, again, you can see that when you have these conversations with leadership groups, you can start to see, is the environment that people are experiencing commensurate with the leader's beliefs, and they're driving it in a certain direction? And is it always appropriate?
1: Mark, if I can come in yeah. there. There's a, a comment in the chat here from Alex. Mm-hmm. He says, I feel that where you position on these scales can be situation and people dependent. And I mean, you you talked about that at the first two. Yeah. For example, sometimes more directive is necessary. At other times, it's necessary to be more participative. Couldn't agree more. And the interesting
2: thing for this is, remember, we said at the start, what I wanted to do with this research was to show leaders that they do have choices. It's not an either or. And when you get somebody who balances these beliefs, such as as these top quartile leaders are doing, then the chances are they're going to give themselves those choices. Mm -hmm. What is interesting, Nancy, is as you know, because you you coach people in this, Mm -hmm. will very often get people who... Uh, let's take let's take influence as the next one. Let's move on. Yeah. Notice how top quartile leaders balance that transactional leadership with transformational leadership. Um, I I actually was surprised at that because, again, I thought, well, the way that, you know, the modern sort of parlance is, transac- transformational leadership would be absolutely out there way and above. Uh, but actually it isn't. Um, so, you know, this is about Knowing when to apply the right thing. And here's the thing: if you don't hold a belief, the likelihood is that you won't you won't display that behavior because it's not on the radar. So, you know, I couldn't agree more with the with the person who says it is situational. And what we're trying to do with this is to say, think about the choices you have moment by moment as a leader. When they do the psychometric. That's that they will be shown where they are at a moment in time. And what we, as you know, Nancy, we encourage people to think about is, so what's going on in your world at the moment that's caused you to give those scores? Yeah. You know, I remember the first time I did this, you know, going to the bottom of this, my achievement score, personally, um, my achievement score came out at nine. Uh, and I did the research and I was supposed to know better, supposedly, but, you know, can you give you know, can you
1: give people a feel for just a quick snapshot of what the, the issue is there on fulfillment? Because it's that achievement, yeah. um, you know, why are you criticizing yourself for nine or, or holding the belief that you could have done a better yeah. uh, job there on the spread of your scores? Yeah. Achievement orientation goes, I suppose,
2: towards individualism, power and control. Yeah you know, if you're gonna be, be hard about it. So if you, if you show an excess of achievement orientation, the, based on this research, the likelihood is therefore that you will not be showing quite as much affiliation. In other words, a sense of fulfillment through enabling others to succeed. Um, whereas achievement orientation is much more about well a sense of fulfillment through what i achieve and the recognition i get Mm. now again there's nothing wrong with that because there will be moments in our lives when when we want to be more achievement orientated all we're saying here is that from the leader's perspective the top quartile leaders out of those thousand surveyed said actually um, we believe that this is the balance that is making us successful currently. Um, so when I beat myself up about coming at nine points of full uh, achievement and only 11 points affiliation, what I did was I said, OK, so why is that happening? What is going on for me? It didn't make me a bad person or necessarily a bad leader. Um, but what it enabled me to do is to have a conversation with myself and say, do I want to be more affiliative? Mm. Do I actually, well, I I asked my colleagues, I said, am I, am I, am I, am I all sort of all talk and all me and not about you? And I got some reassuring feedback. Um, but you know what it's like, Nancy, you know, yeah. something like this, I hope gives people a sense of yeah. greater self-awareness and other awareness.
1: Yeah. And using it with clients as we're doing at the moment, mm. um, what have you found has, uh, you know, because this is interesting research and taking it yeah. out into client projects on leadership development, just give us a sense of, um, but be- yeah, I think you just had that power cl- uh, organizations benefiting from u- using this. Yeah, research.
2: I mean, again, I, I don't know. I'm going to go through a lecture on this. But th- look, at the moment, there is no doubt that what we are seeing now is is leaders wherever we're working I mean we're running a, a the leader secret code as a program for probably four organizations at the moment um, and um, one of them is in the well I've already mentioned the name one of them is in the tech sector another one is um, in the rental space um, people people in America and the uk may have heard of Sunbelt rentals um, we're, we're we're currently running a A leadership program for them the leader secret code now what we're seeing here is organizations are absolutely looking for something that helps connect leaders with their people especially after what's happened to us all over the last two years and you know I've called it a VUCA 2.0 environment we always knew that the world was volatile and and complex and ambiguous but I think now more than ever before, especially in this world where so many leaders now are not physically connected to their people. Um, helping people understand their own people a little more has been, has been of, 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 massive, of massive benefit. And I think you know, these questions are getting asked of us by clients all the time how do we keep our people engaged how we do how do i enable our leaders to motivate and inspire often from a distance how do we help people stay resilient um, what is the pattern for good leadership or great leadership and can you help uh, and so on and so forth um yeah. so i think of all of those are fairly are fairly uh, fairly self-evident and i think the other thing for us that is coming out of this is um a whole range of work around data analytics and benchmarking. Now, at the end of the day, how do you measure? How do you bottle great leadership? Um, it's a challenge, you know, um, because as we already said, it's so situational. But again, because we've now got, well, I mean, we, the original survey was 1,000 leaders, but I would, you know, we're now well well on the way towards 10,000 uh, leaders in the in the database now. What we're able to start doing now is to start doing some data analytics, uh, and and some organisations are starting to say to us, can you help us think about what good look might look like for us? Um, and again, oh. s- some organisations aren't. Some organisations are saying no. We're quite happy with the benchmark that you've got, and that's fine. All we want is to give people a conversation. But some organisations are starting to say, well, if we're running a leadership academy you know, what beliefs might be important to us? Would we necessarily see the same beliefs that you guys have identified in the code? Well, it, we could you work with us to work on some of the beliefs that. that are important to us? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, and yeah that, that's and we're finding that a lot, yeah. Great, well, Mark, shall we t- hit the pause button there and see yeah. if anybody has any questions um, that they'd like to ask?
0: Nancy can I uh, do I just butt in there I'd like
1: to okay take, go take for the it, questions
0: Derek. after we stop the recording because oh, okay, we've been going for um, 40 minutes. So, yeah, um, I just came up in chat. Sorry, so but, uh, so
2: Nigel could I possibly come back to you on something you've put out um couldn't agree more uh, the canovan framework is fantastic and indeed when we help leaders deal with ambiguity and all that kind of stuff uh and the and the um taking the sense of their environment that's a great way i mean i wonder if you want to just share a little bit with that because to me that was also fundamental in driving some of the research that we that we undertook
0: um nigel if you can do that in about 30 seconds because we're really short of time and then we can cover it after i stop the recording
2: oh sorry okay no
0: it's okay okay, mark it's just that we are Um, let's do that after the recording nancy thanks for Thanks for hosting. glad to help
1: out. I, I thank Ma- you, Mark. That was really interesting. I think Derek might have another point. Mark, I wanted to thank you on behalf of Monday Night Live and on behalf of the guests
0: for uh, giving us an amazing talk, actually, and we'd like to invite you back at some stage because I think we've got so many questions for you that um, um, we need to fire, fire at you. But I would just ask you for one last tip for people watching this on YouTube, on the po- on my podcast channel, that you think they ought to take away for 2022? Because we are actually all leaders. Everyone's a leader in some description or other. One last tip, please, Val.
2: It might sound a bit trite, but I really believe in um, don't limit your ambition. That's the tip I would have. Three years ago, um, no, five years ago, I'd never written a book. Five years ago, I'd never done any meaningful research. Five years later, we put our minds to it. We have an understanding of what the salesperson's secret code looks like, the leader secret code looks like. And the wonderful thing about it is that that ambition um, has driven a whole new conversation with a whole load of people I never thought I would meet. So the more ambitious you are, um, the more you make something happen, the more likely you are to meet interesting people like you've seen on the call here today uh so that would be that would be it don't let anything stop you just do it
0: thanks mark that's a fantastic tip it reminds me of uh, uh of uh, henry ford or was it edison whether you think you can or whether you think you can't you're probably yeah. right mark ridley thanks for joining monday night live you're I welcome. really appreciate that if you're watching this on youtube on the Negotiators, uh, podcast please join us live please like it please pass it on to your friends and please recommend mark uh,
3: Mark Ridley is the leader's secret code. Thanks again, Mark. Welcome.